Seahawks Man to Man is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices of up to 60% off. I am a huge basketball fan, but I also love hip-hop and rap. I love me some 2 chains. Game Time is the best way to get tickets for everything from sporting events to shows by artists like 2 Chains. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You can follow me at Mike Dugar. That is M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Verified if you didn't catch any of that. Uh, Chris, talk to the people. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C-K-I-D-D-206, and that's C-Kidd-206. All right, this is the bi-week edition of the Man to Man podcast. You know, me and Chris, I always have spent my day watching a lot of football. Uh, Chris was so comfy when I came to his house to do the show. He's already in his robe. Uh, uh, looking real, real, real comfy today. <laughs> Did you watch a lot of football today, Chris? It was a mix of football and basketball, because you know I got to keep on my NBA stuff. Oh, Seahawks right. have a bye. I kind of take that as, all right. I don't have to watch them play today. Let me watch some NBA things, see who's doing well. I'll catch a little bit of some NFL stuff as well. All right. Well, we have a special guest on our bye week edition today. Used to cover the Seahawks. A great job there. Uh, hipped me to the athletic, uh, actually, moving over uh, to Philly. Now is one of our national writers for the athletic. Does a great job for us. We have Shil Kapadia. Shil, what up, man? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Oh, we're we're glad you uh, come to kick it with us, spend some time, loving all the national uh, stuff uh, you're doing now. Real great job. I want to jump right into, uh, you know, some Seahawks stuff. Seahawks are eight and two. Just had that big win on Monday Night Football. Obviously, off this week. Everyone asks me this question, and I want to spin it to you since you cover the league as a whole. You know, are the Seahawks a legit uh, title contender? Yeah, I, I think they definitely are. When you saw what they did on Monday night against the 49ers, you know, obviously they have questions like a lot of teams do, but the 49ers right now are uh, the number one seed in the NFC and the Seahawks show that they could go there and win a game there. So uh, I thought that was a pretty eye-opening game with the way, I'm sure you guys, you know, have been talking about it, but the way Jadeveon Clowney played, in that game, you know, I've had questions about the Seahawks defense for much of this year, and I still do. But if he can, like, raise his game to that level, then it's just a total game changer. I mean, they can compete with anybody. And if you look at some of his stats, like when he was with Houston, there were years where he would kind of start off, you know, not start off slow, I don't want to say, but he might not have that impact in September, October. And then he kind of got better as the season went along. So if that's what's happening here, then, then I think they're a really fascinating team. Uh, when, when people ask me whether the Seahawks are a contender, it's an interesting question that I, I, I hate answering people's questions with the question, so I never fire back with this. But I'm curious, in your head, what, what, what makes a team a contender? Like when someone asks you that, what are the boxes they need to check to get a yes out of you? I mean, I, I pretty much look at it like, can I see this team 
getting to the Super Bowl. You know, what, once you get there, obviously anything can happen. It's one game. There's so much randomness. And so some of the uh, attributes you look for, I mean, the biggest thing I look for is like offensive efficiency. You know, that that's sort of the thing that is stable from year to year. And there's always going to be exceptions. But if you have a team that can be really good on offense, that can uh, put up, you know, score in the 30s when they need to, that could be good with the game on the line. Obviously, that goes hand in hand with having a great quarterback which they do um that's pretty much the number one factor you know i think a lot of the other stuff you can make up for whether it's uh you know a defense that might not be great maybe not even you know this is the seahawks case but you know even if it's a coaching staff that's not great you know some of that stuff you can make up for if just the offense is really good that's kind of the way the nfl seems to be in 2019 you know, I I'm, I pissed off a bunch of Baltimore fans today. I think because I quote I quote tweeted the Mark Ingram speech. Uh, if you guys haven't seen it yet, go please go watch it. Mark Ingram basically campaigns for Lamar Jackson to be MVP of the league. Gets up there and says, you know, if if uh, if you have a problem with Lamar Jackson being MVP front runner, you come see me. And I was like, well, several Seahawks will probably come see him because <laughs> there's a guy you know over here in Seattle who's playing pretty well. Uh, would you say Russ is in the lead, or would you say Lamar, or or who else is in that convo for MVP right now? Man, it's tough. I think we had to do like a midseason awards for the Athletic, and I had Russell Wilson there, but. I don't know. This might be a recency bias, but if I have to name it today, I might go Lamar. I mean, the guy has been uh, just incredible to be doing this at 22 years old, at, at four touchdowns today. The whole offense, you know, pretty much runs through him. I think it's neck and neck. I think they're both going to, you know, be there to the end. I, I would put those two guys as the the top two. I'm trying to think who else is in the conversation. I mean, Mahomes missed games, but you know, he's got, what, seven weeks here to go where by the time the end of the season rolls around, his numbers, I suspect, will be as good as anybody's. Uh, Deshaun Watson has been, uh, he had a, a bad game today, but, you know, again, that's probably recency bias. If I look at it overall, he's had a really strong season as well. So I think those are probably the the four guys. I, I think that I would have Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson uh, in the top two spots. And then uh, the other two guys I mentioned, uh, you know, Mahomes and Watson, I think will be there. Uh, and I guess actually, you know what, I should throw Aaron Rodgers in there too um, to round out the top five. I think those would be my top five guys. And there's some people in uh, in Minnesota and probably Carolina who are really upset, you know, like how could he not mention you know, a Dalvin Cook, a Christian McCaffrey, but, you know, you and I know that, you know, running back's probably not going to be able to do enough in this day and age to win, you know, MVP just because of how valuable quarterbacks are. But, you know, where, where do you stand on a running back maybe being in the convo, like a Christian McCaffrey who does so much for his team? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, those guys are having incredible seasons, and Dalvin Cook specifically, you know, moving to this national role this year and watching him every week, the guy has been incredible. He, I think he might be the most fun uh, running back to watch in the NFL. So those guys are having outstanding seasons. But, yeah, like you said, it's sort of just an overall philosophy you know when you look at kind of the big picture just everything that the quarterback has to do compared to the running back uh, you know for a running back to win it they would almost have to have like a record setting you know 2,000 yard season or something like that in my opinion and even then it, you know I, I'm not sure that I would pick them if there was a quarterback having a fantastic season so you know those guys deserve credit but I, I wouldn't put them up there with the quarterbacks I mentioned another exciting player that I guess we used to watch, who is now retired, is Doug Baldwin. He retired in early May, and the Seahawks 
they were unsure, and a lot of critics were unsure about how this wide receiving core was going to form. And I have to say, through 10 games in the NFL season, the Seahawks have, I think, answered all the critics' questions regarding what's going to happen at wide receiver. What has been, what was your biggest concern coming in and have the Seahawks achieved and done more than what you thought they would do coming into the season without Doug Baldwin? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I was uh, covering the Seahawks for probably Baldwin's two best uh, seasons of his career. I mean, he was incredible those two years. And, and so when they lost him, I was wondering, you know, when I was doing like preseason stuff this year, I was looking at it saying, you know, Russell Wilson really doesn't have a lot of great weapons here uh, to throw to. I, I like Tyler Lockett. I've always liked uh, Tyler Lockett, even when he was a rookie there um, the one year. You know, he, he was very good that season and obviously has kind of taken it to another level this year. So he, he's been fantastic. You know, he's one of those guys that if the Seahawks were more pass happy or if you were in an offense that threw the ball all over the field, uh, I mean, his numbers would be insane. Like compared to, you know, if he were to be on the Chiefs, in Tyreek Hill's spot, uh, I mean, I believe he'd be putting up the exact uh, same numbers as, as Tyreek Hill. So uh, definitely a big Tyler Lockett fan. I think the big one was DK Metcalf. You know, it's hard to project how what kind of contributions you're going to get from a rookie wide receiver, especially someone like Metcalf, who the book on him was, well, you know, he, he's obviously a, a great physical specimen and there are things that he does really well, but is he going to be able to do all the things that are asked of him uh, as an NFL wide receiver? And I, I think it's a credit to him. It's a credit to the coaching staff there and uh, credit to Russell Wilson that he's been able to have such a, such a fantastic season. And then you throw in I mean, that, that game against the Niners was crazy because all of a sudden it was like Josh Gordon appeared out of thin air on two key third downs. He's running a slant on Richard Sherman on a key third down uh, late in the game. So, you know, it's not like they need Josh Gordon to be a number one wide receiver. They need him to be a contributor. And then if Tyler Lockett's healthy, those two with Metcalf, uh, that's going to be a really strong group down the stretch. Wow, you, you read my mind because my next question was going to be about Josh Gordon and what he's going to bring to the team. And you you summed it up pretty quickly. I do want to get to Tyler Lockett. You mentioned him as well because he has definitely stepped up. Mike and I have been having a discussion since, I want to say, maybe early April, May, about Tyler Lockett being a top 10 route runner in the NFL. I said he wasn't, and I still believe he's not. I'm not going to put you on the spot with that one. But I do want to get your thoughts on Tyler Lockett and where he's where he is amongst the receivers in the NFL. Do you see him in the Tier 1 group, Tier 2? Is he even a top 10 receiver in the NFL? Where do you see Tyler Lockett? Yeah, I think the probably the top, you know, quote-unquote elite guys, like the, you know, I, like the Julio Jones, uh, Michael Thomas. I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head some of the other guys that would be up there. But, you know, I think that's one group, and I would say he's probably in the next group down. So I would say uh, – Tier two, you know, I, I think just the way uh, his route running is outstanding. I think the way he tracks the ball downfield is really sort of an underrated skill. You know, we, it's one thing to get open downfield, but uh, sometimes it's hard to track the ball, figure out where it is, come down with it. And him and Russell Wilson, I mean, the efficiency. I know Doug Baldwin used to always talk about it, that in that Seahawks offense, it's about efficiency, like the targets you get 
what percentage are, are you going to be able to catch? And, you know, they always wanted to be up there, at, you know, in the 70s, which is really among the elite in the NFL. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure Tyler Lockett is kind of filling that Doug Baldwin role as one of the most efficient uh, efficient receivers in the NFL. And, and I think just from being there, he's just such a good, like, team guy. You know, it's not the easiest offense, I think, to play wide receiver because you're not getting as many targets as some other guys. And uh, I think just from a personality standpoint, he really fits well there. Just to help you out, I'll give you my top ten receivers because you did mention a few of them. You said Julio. I'm going to throw in D-Hop, Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas, Stephon Diggs, Keenan Allen, Michael Evans, OBJ, even though his production is not even even good enough this year, Tyreek Hill, and the sleeper one that people are probably going to be shocked about is Cooper Cup. Mm. Cooper Cup, I think, has definitely earned that right to be in the conversation. And I would say this about Tyra Lockett. I think as the season goes on, and if he can, continues to play well, I mean, he did struggle against San Fran, but he also got hurt later in the game. But if he continues... I think next season he will definitely be in the conversation for a top 10 wide receiver. Yeah, that's a good list. I can't argue like you were. I think you got to like eight, and I'm saying, uh-oh, I can't argue. Maybe he's not top 10. Uh, I would definitely put him right there with uh, Tyreek Hill and Cooper Cup. I, I think I might even put him um, – you know, above those two guys or in the conversation. So it's the other guys, I think I'm with you that if I was just to start a team and said, hey, you can have any of these guys uh, and they're all the same age, then, you know, I would probably take those guys uh, ahead of him. But I, I think he's right there after, after that top group you mentioned. Perfect. Oh, wow. We didn't. We just really want to upset Minnesota today. Just <laughs> left Adam Thielen all out of the convo. Hey. Uh, you know, that's 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 fine, though. That's, that's your list. Uh, you know, uh, Brian Schottenheimer being hired as an OC here in Seattle wasn't really a, a sexy, you know, hire, a lot, you know, especially compared to a lot of the other just either OC or head coaching hires that are kind of all of uh, Sean McVay's homies with uh, offensive minds. Uh, but now it looks like Shotty's leading. He's leading an elite passing offense. You know, he's. He's probably looking at two straight years of a top 10 just offense, at least according to Football Outsiders, DVOA. Uh, you know, where does Shadi rank, you think, among some of the league's best offensive minds? Well, I, I think two things. I think one is that, you know, when the Seahawks get uh, criticized – for some stuff, especially offensively, I don't always think it's fair because I don't think it's easy to be Pete Carroll's offensive coordinator. You know, you have to play a certain way. You want to minimize uh, turnovers. You want to produce explosive plays. You want to run the ball. Like, there are certain things he's saying, hey, if you're going to be my offensive coordinator, this is how we're going to play. And that's different from other places. Other places, they have a, a defensive coach who just says, hey, I'm handing the offense over to you. Do what you need to do. I trust you. And, you know, I, I don't think, you know, Pete's like a, a micromanager, but there's a way um, certainly that he wants to play. And then the other thing, it's hard to sometimes separate the offensive coordinator from the quarterback. And, you know, Russell Wilson, how many times have they been top five DVOA since he's been the quarterback? I mean, it's almost every year. It might be like one <laughs> true, year, true. you know, where they're not. So, uh, you know, I, I think that Schottenheimer is doing – is playing how Pete Carroll wants him to play. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I was were starting a list of the, the brightest offensive minds in the NFL that he would be there. But it's kind of, like I said, it's tough to separate uh, from the quarterback and, and how the coach wants you to play. You know, I've, I, I'm, I think the Seahawks are having a really interesting year in terms of, yeah, shoddy and, 
and and what Ken Norton's doing on the defensive side of the ball and how that all mixes with Pete Carroll in terms of his philosophies. Like like for example, what do you make of P- of a Pete Carroll team basically having a below average defense and then having like an elite passing offense? Yeah, it's the it's sort of the most. I think it's like the most interesting angle with this team. You know, you have this kind of uh, probably a future Hall of Fame coach who's wanted to play a certain way his whole career, who's the oldest coach in the league, who's had so much success. You know, they rebuilt the entire team basically, except for, uh, you know, Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, and KJ Wright. They rebuilt the whole team on the fly and missed the playoffs once. So Carroll is like this elite, you know, program builder and, uh, you know, motivator, leader, all those types of things. But now uh, in this strange year where they have a chance to make a run, like this is not the identity you think of when you think of a Pete Carroll team. And so what I, what I think will be fascinating down the stretch is, you know, if this continues, then do you say at some point, all right, this is who we are, let's make sure we play to our strengths, or do you still approach games, and I'm sure we'll get to this approach games, like, hey, we, you know, we're still a defensive run-the-ball team, which, you know, I know fans there, uh, a certain segment of them are frustrated with, and I understand why, because you do have this elite passing offense that can uh, really carry you right now. Erectile dysfunction. That's something that's not easy to discuss. Usually... We make excuses. We're not up for it. Sometimes we just avoid having that entire discussion about what's going on below the belt. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe you real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. A.K.A. In other words, that means nobody needs to know about this. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for erectile dysfunction. All from the comfort and privacy of your home. It's easy to get started. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Hawks. Again, visit GetRoman.com slash Hawks to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Hawks for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash Hawks. We did mention the below-average defense in regarding the Seattle Seahawks, and it starts with your front four. When you read the names of all these guys they have on the front four, you're thinking, "Oh, one of the top le- one of the top teams in sacks easily." And then you go look at the stats, and they're not even scratching the surface. Not even close. But last week, they showed promise with Jadavian Clowney having a career game. He balled out, especially with pressures. He might not have got sacks, but it was the pressure amount of pressures he put on the quarterback to force plays that wouldn't have happened. What do you make of this pass rush, and why did it? Why do you think it took this long for them, for one player, I guess, to have a game to that magnitude where it mattered and it changed pretty much the outcome of the game? Yeah, I think I looked at the stats before last week. I like looking at, uh, you know, sacks and quarterback hits, and then I also look at, you know, how many like passing plays have you faced, you know, or, and then kind of do a percentage with it. And by like that metric, they were the worst pass rush in the NFL going into last week, you know, and there would be weeks where I'm double checking my numbers. Wait, can this be right? uh, (laughs) You know, because you look at the names and, you know, there are some other teams where you say, all right, they just have nobody up front. And that's kind of what you're expecting. But uh, I thought the pass rush was going to be a strength uh, for the Seahawks. So, you know, in terms of 
Clowney himself, why did it take that long to have that type of game? I, I don't know. I know there were you know times where he was certainly impacting the game, uh, affecting the game, making some plays here and there, but I never felt like he took over a game. And to be honest, I don't know that I've seen how many defensive players I've seen take over a game uh, to the degree that he did last week. You know, I'm sure Aaron Donald has had a game like that this year. I, I don't remember like Khalil Mack. Uh, you know, I think Khalil Mack might have had one earlier this year. It's hard to do, and he's one of maybe five, six, seven guys who's capable of doing that. So if he can keep that up, it's a game changer. And the other guys have been disappointing. You know, I, I think uh, Jaron Reed, since he's come back, has what one and a half sacks and I think three quarterback hits or something like that. I was looking up, so uh, he's not up to the level he was a year ago and Ziggy Ansah has been a disappointment to me I thought that was a really smart signing by them I thought he was going to be able to help somebody as kind of a you know one-year player if he was healthy Um, as a pass rusher I I don't know if he's I I know he's battled some injuries so that could be part of it but you know if he's able to get healthy uh, last year you know I thought he was a pretty good player so if he's able to play sort of like he was last year if you get the clowning you saw Monday night if you get the read you saw last year then all of a sudden that thing could could turn pretty quickly and the pass rush could be pretty good down the stretch the one positive i guess in the defense well not the one positive a few positives i will say is starting with shaquille griffin i think he has improved his game can you talk about what you've seen from shaquille griffin and how much he's improved at the cornerback position yeah i haven't you know like uh i haven't studied him closely but i know just from sort of watching their games every week and looking at some of the numbers he's been outstanding there's no doubt about it you know i don't think he's uh among the elite five or six corners but you know i think he's playing at a very high level right now and i know i remember when they drafted him um the story I was told that was that, you know, Griffin went there for his like uh, official pre-draft visit and the coaching staff just like totally fell in love with him based on, you know, they liked his film, but based on that one day of being around him, they were like, we loved it. You know, we love this guy. We would love to have him uh, on our team. And he's, he's come in, he's gotten better every year. And uh, yeah, I think he's playing really well for them right now. Oh, this is the moment in the show I've been waiting for to bring up the hashtag never kick. Oh man, I love I love anytime I can I can squeeze it in there. But beyond you know kicking and field goals and punts and stuff like that, I want to take it deeper with you, Shield, because you're one of the people I like lean on when I want to know you know how the rest of the league is in terms of aggressiveness, the use of analytics. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll he has an analytics department. We don't really get to know what they do and you know how useful they are in games. He just says he has people who give him the numbers and stuff when he's making in-game decisions. But you've pointed out several times and uh your 10 like likes and dislikes column that Pete's decision making this year has been questionable you know but across the league you know how aggressive is the league getting is it more aggressive than it has been and like which teams are maybe most uh, aggressive when it comes to like fourth down decisions and maybe leaving their field goal unit or punt team on the sideline Oh, this is great. You're going to you're going to let me get a plug in here, Mike, because I'm actually writing that, you know, I was in Baltimore for a couple of days last week and they've been among the most aggressive teams in the NFL. So, I, you know, for you for your listeners who uh, who would be interested, there's going to be a story about this on The Athletic uh, later this week. But I, I would say uh, the Ravens are up there. The Bills have been very aggressive. Uh, the the Eagles are a pretty aggressive team, the team that I'm close to here in Philadelphia. Those, those are kind of three of the ones 
that really uh, come to mind, and the Seahawks have really been on the other end uh, of the spectrum. So as a whole, you know, if you look at the numbers, yes, the league definitely is getting more aggressive, whether it means, you know, you have fourth and two from the opponent's 49. Uh, A lot of teams, that's just a a no-brainer. You're going for it uh, right away right now with the way the game is not every team but uh a lot of teams and you know same thing whether you're debating between a 53 yard field goal and a fourth and two well a lot of teams are going uh for the fourth and two now so uh, i'm with you I'm, I'm on team never kick i know uh it depends on sort of the circumstances and the personnel and all those different things but i re- you know one stat that i found doing this raven story they had had uh they got four, ten, ten fourth down conversions on the season, and eight of those led to a touchdown on that drive. Wow. I mean, that's crazy. You know, that that's uh, eight, eight times six, that's 48. Or if you want to count the extra points, that's 56 extra points you're getting um, by being aggressive and going for it on fourth down. So I think it's going to continue uh, continue to trend that way, and the coaches that are aggressive are going to give their teams an edge, and the coaches who aren't aggressive are, are going to be costing their teams. Are these the teams that are the teams that are most aggressive? Are they leaning on their, their analytics departments when they're making these decisions? Uh, the, the Ravens are and the Eagles are, you know, and, uh, yeah, they, they uh, have somebody kind of in their – ear on the headset when they're making these decisions who kind of you know you don't have they don't have to give them a long math equation but they can basically tell them is this a smart time to go for it or is this not a smart time to go for it a lot of times that you know the the sort of math might be right on the edge where it's not like a no-brainer one way or another and it's a matter of does the coach want to instill this aggressive mindset in his players and show the offense that he has faith in them or do they want to be uh more conservative and lean on their defense but yeah i know there are uh, several teams who are kind of using the numbers and making sure you know they're, they're not just going with the numbers every time but they're making sure they have all the, all the information when they do make a decision yeah i thought that kind of viral moment after the raven seahawks game was like really telling where the you, you've seen it the, where lamar jackson like convinces uh harbaugh to go for it on fourth down it was like it was like fourth and eight too it wasn't even like one of those fourth and shorts and and not only do they get it, they pick it up, run it, and score. That's probably one of those uh, the the numbers in the stat you just just gave. Yeah, it's not surprising at all to hear that the Ravens, uh, with probably the best short yardage threat in the entire league, maybe the history of the league, uh, to be honest, are one of the most uh, aggressive teams. There. The rest of the league should watch out. Um, I want to want to move to one of the bigger stories uh, in the NFL uh, this this week was Colin Kaepernick having his workout uh, in Atlanta. Uh, a lot of reports that he looked pretty good. You know, a lot of uh, leaks from like eight, uh, NFL execs and stuff that said he looked sharp. Basically, looked as good as he did when he was in San Fran. All that all that good stuff. You you get a good look at the QB play across the league, and for me. That's one of the main things I look at when I'm like on my couch watching. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of bad QBs in the league. Uh, <laughs> you know, you also got a close look up at Kaepernick when he played the Seahawks here a lot. You know, how many, t- which teams do you think maybe could could be of use to him? And like, could he be the missing piece for a team that maybe like their uh, their uh, their last missing piece for a title is like maybe a, a quarterback? I, for me, I think a team's like Chicago or um, actually that's the number one I think of. Like, how many teams do you think he could help? Yeah, no, that that's the one I think of. 
right away and it's uh you know it's obviously hard to know given that that was just one workout and he hasn't played in the league for a while but he certainly looks you know like he's uh in shape and has been training and all those things so uh for teams that should I think give him a look and where he could be an upgrade. I mean, the Bears are the obvious one because one thing, if you look at Kaepernick during his career, uh, he rarely, his interception rate was really low. Like he did not make a lot of mistakes. So if you're a team like the Bears and you say, you know what, we want to just, we want to win with defense and we want the quarterback to make some plays, but doesn't have to kind of put the team on his back. And, you know, we can develop a little bit of a, a run game with him like he had in San Francisco, then, that, that's the one that really uh, comes to mind right away. I'm going through here the rosters a little bit. Uh, you know, Denver would probably be mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. another one. You know, Flacco, obviously, that didn't work out. And now they're uh, playing this kid, Brandon Allen, who, who is not the answer long term. And I know the Broncos defense did not play great uh, this week. But overall, they've been pretty good as well so it's not that different than the you know it's a little bit different but sort of similar to the chicago situation um i'm just going through here a little bit i mean tennessee probably oh yeah oh yeah you know that that would not be uh crazy to me that's another one and then if you're looking at uh, i mean it depends if we're looking at a long term the steelers don't make sense but if this was you know six weeks ago and they had been in touch with him and, you know, he had worked out for them in the summer just in case. And then Ben Roethlisberger, not even six weeks ago, I guess nine weeks ago, Ben Roethlisberger goes down. Um, you know, would he have given them a better chance to win games than Mason Rudolph? I think there's a pretty good chance of that. Uh, oh, yeah. I look at a lot of teams across the league that could use a, use a guy like that. You want to mention a team that's whose quarterback turns it over a bunch. So what did Jameis have? What, four more turnovers today? Three? Four oh, interceptions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it was four, yep. Oh, man. Ugly. Oh, yeah. I'm no. glad I sat him on the bench today for Tom Brady. Oh, yeah. No, that's a, that's a <laughs> no-brainer. You want to talk about no-brainers. Oh, oh my my goodness. All right. Is it, uh, is it, is it over-under time now? You know what? We'll go over-and-under, and then we'll get to predictions. Okay. Over-and-under. Right. The Buffalo Bills right now are sitting at 7-3. and three. Are, they, are they really? Yeah, 7-3. and Woe is right. Shield, did you did you see the Bills winning, having, in through 10 games, could you see them having... A record of seven and three. If you sitting in June. No, I think I ha- I actually had to do predictions for every team, so I think I had them um, at seven and nine for the season. So yeah, <laughs> uh, unless I was predicting seven and three and then losing six straight, which I don't think I was, uh, then no, I I did. They had some things going in their favor that the, the schedule um, that they're facing has been one of the easiest in the NFL. But no, I, I was not expecting this. All right, here's the fun part. You did mention you had them going 7-9. and nine. There's six games remaining. Over or under 10 wins for the Buffalo Bills? Throw a half on that. Throw a 10 okay, and a half. Okay, 10 and a half. 10 and a half on that. Throw that. Throw the half on there. Okay, I'm glad you gave me the half because that was going to be tough. I, <laughs> think, I think that they're going to win 10 games. I don't think they're, you know, some type of uh, juggernaut. You know, you look at some of the advanced numbers. They're, they're a solid team. They're not a great team. So I'll, I'll say 10 and 6. So I'll say under. Under. All right. Well, here's here's the schedule remaining for them. Let's see if this will work out in your favor. They play Denver at the crib. Then they travel to Dallas, Thanksgiving. Then they're at home versus Baltimore. And they travel to Pittsburgh and at New England. And then they face the Jets at home. So I'm going to feel good about it. Yeah, I, 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 would, I, I see three wins I, there. That is definitely possible. Three wins indeed. 
Yeah, I like so that. That was good. Yeah. And then last up, Seahawks are traveling to Philly. This is going to be – unfortunately, it's not, on, it's not a primetime game anymore. That I don't know why they did that, but NFL makes a lot of questionable moves. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Who do you have winning Hawks versus Philly? Give us a score. Man, so you, you guys are coming off the bye week, so you're already looking ahead. I'm trying to get through today. This is the earliest <laughs> prediction I've ever given. I think the Sunday before, but you know, I, I can't be a, a bad guest here. You invited me on, so it'd be rude of me to pass on this. So let me think I'm gonna think on the fly here. I'm gonna give you a score. However, I'm gonna make sure that, you know, my official score is gonna probably come on the athletic uh, Thursday or Friday. I, I don't fair. want people to think I'm you know, predicting two different things and trying to get the best of uh, <laughs> best of both worlds here. Uh, you know, I think the Seahawks are going to win this game. I think the Eagles are a very uh, mediocre team right now. They are they're five and five. Um, you know, quite frankly, they've been a pretty boring team all season and, and have not played that well. And so, uh, I think they're going to have trouble with Russell Wilson and the Eagles don't have a lot of answers offensively right now. So let's say prediction. I am going to say, I will say Seahawks 20. Let's go 26 Eagles 21. Ooh, a little little bit of a weird score, but that's what I'm going to go with right now. All right. Philly is favored minus two and a half right now. I know it's really early. Is that right? Yeah. It's surprising. It's early as hell. I will admit that. Whoa. We are a week away, and they already have Philly at minus two and a half, over under 49. Mm. It'll be interesting to see how this goes throughout the week. Wow. No, uh, uh, Thiel, uh, excuse me, Shield does do a uh, prediction column every week with the picks against the spread. I love it, even though I'm hashtag never gamble. A lot <laughs> of hashtags uh, that, that I want, although I love looking at the over-unders and the, and the spreads and everything. Uh, can't wait for uh, Shield's column. Uh, this week, I love the transparency. He puts his record uh, on there every yeah, week. Yeah, I can't put my record on there. I mean, <laughs> I see what you're doing, Shield, but I, I don't know if I could tell him what my record is. And that I salute you for that, man. Oh, yeah, the name of, name of transparency. Yeah, someone, someone requested that early on, and I figured I had to. It's been a rough season, but you know what? I had a good day today. And so uh, hopefully uh, it'll be looking better there next week. But, yeah, that will be interesting. I wonder if that, that line, uh, I could see see it certainly moving a little bit in one direction because uh, I don't know, man. You know, as you said, team never gambled because Vegas always knows something <laughs> that we don't. And so I should not be questioning them, but that one does surprise me. Oh, yeah. No, maybe they know something about Tyler Lockett and that that, that leg injury that we don't know. I don't know. I, I don't point. I don't like to play with Vegas, man. The, the, everyone who watched football games today, I saw one one bad beat today, and I'll get this in there before we get out of here. The Cardinals were, I think, were plus 10, I think is might be what it closed at. They're up three with four minutes left, end up losing by 10 because of that Touch- n- oh. that meaningless defensive <laughs> touchdown at the end of the game. Well, it wasn't meaningless in Vegas. Uh, so that's a great example, guys. Never, never, ever gamble. But uh, well, well, luckily... By the, when I had to do my picks column, that was uh, they were eleven point underdogs, and I wow. picked the Cardinals because if if it was ten and they lost that way, I might have had to cancel my podcast <laughs> uh, here because yeah, I don't know anyone who watched that, and if you had the Cardinals, I mean that la- it was literally the last play where you know they're just doing backwards laterals and you know the balls on the ground and their players aren't even trying for it, and all of a sudden it bounces out of nowhere. And the uh, and the 49ers recover it, and they run into the end zone. But they, there's that new rule now 
that like if the game ends on a touchdown like that with zeros on the clock, you don't have to kick the extra point or you don't kick the extra point. You remember like five years ago, yeah, whatever yeah. it was, you would actually, they would call the teams out and kick the extra point. So yes. that one actually saved me. So uh, for the first time, maybe ever, I'll say kudos to Roger Goodell for uh, for doing a good job there with that rule change for me. Oh, man, yeah. I remember <laughs> when, they, when they had the fail Mary, didn't they have to trot the Packers back on for the extra point in Seattle? Yeah. I think you're right. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know when it changed. It, it might just be in the last couple of years. Oh man, that's yeah, that's brutal, man. Never, never gamble. But Shield, thank you, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Really love all the the work you're doing. At move to the like the national role. Love the likes and dislikes every week. I love the picks ag- yes. against the spread, man. Keep keep killing it. We really appreciate you uh, giving us your time. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. On that note, you listen to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, as always, powered by The Athletic. Make sure you follow me at Mike Dugar on Twitter. Chris, where can they follow you? You can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206, and that's CKID206. Shield, where can they follow you, real quick? At Shield Kapadia. It's uh, S H E I L K A P A D I A. All right. And on that note, we are out. Thank you.